Have you ever received a sign from God? I admit to you up front that I tend to be pretty skeptical when people are really quick to answer yes to that question, partially because I'm kind of a skeptical person. Faith for some people seems like sort of an instinct or a reflex, but for me, uh, it's much more of a practice. I can remember being in a freshman class for ministry and getting spiritual gift assessments back, and they were talking over and over again about how important the gift of faith was. And so I leafed through my assessment trying to find where the gift of faith was, and there it was at the very bottom. (laughs) And I wondered if I should just sort of pack it up and leave. Because lacking faith feels not just like sort of a personal spiritual crisis, it feels like a professional hazard. Because when you're in church, and you're working in church, and you've sat through the pews for years and years and years, borrowing on the faith of the people around you, believing only with great effort, things that people around you seem to believe effortlessly, you start to wonder if you should just pack it up and go home. So part of it's my personality, but honest to God, headlines, news headlines about people who are claiming religious experiences in ridiculous places really don't help. So I looked up some this week. One on Google said, Illinois shoppers says that a close parking spot at the mall is a sign of God's favor. Another says, local woman sees Jesus's face on a potato. And my favorite one was, Florida resident finds religious imagery on a goldfish cracker. (laughs) Things like this, you know, I mean, those of us who are skeptical already, leave these kind of stories chuckling and believing that if God does perform signs, he probably wouldn't waste them on a potato, right? And yet, even as we chuckle, most of us, I think, in our lives can remember a time in which it would have been really useful for God to come through with a sign. We can remember a time in middle school where we were sifting through the kind of people we were going to commit to as friends, and we wish that God would have gently nudged us as to who those people might be. We can remember a time uh, of transition in our lives, whether graduation or a job change or a shift into retirement, when we hope that God will nudge us some direction and give us some sign of the kind of person that we're supposed to be. When we're in the doctor's waiting room, waiting for a diagnosis after the test results have come back inconclusive multiple times, most of us end up thinking that this would be a good time for God to throw a sign, right? Because the point of a sign, whether it's on the interstate or from God, is to get our attention. It's to guide our behavior. It's to help us locate ourselves, to warn us when we need it, to make it clearer, not just where we're going, but also what's up ahead of us. So maybe I'll ask it a different way this morning, church. What would it mean, do you think, for God to give you a sign? My Sunday school flannel graph imagination is full of pictures of pretty obvious signs from God, right? You see the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, or you see dry bones coming to life and winning battles, and you think, that's weird, that's notable, that has to be something that God did. So I have this sort of uh, rubric in my mind for a sign from God that has a sign from God being pretty obvious, and yet that's not our text for this morning. We're in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and King Ahaz, who you just saw depicted, has been anxious about other nations taking his throne. He's nervous, fundamentally, that God isn't strong enough to keep his promise to protect his people. So he's made alliances with other kingdoms, so he doesn't actually have to trust in God. 
And so God confronts Ahaz's skepticism and says, please just ask me for a sign, anything you want, heavens and earth, I'll give it to you. And Ahaz says, no. And he couches it almost in respectful language. He says, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test, but he shows by his actions that he's not really that concerned about putting the Lord to the test. He just doesn't want to bother with this God business when he already has another solution in hand. He's made a compromise with Syria. He knows that even if he loses, he'll have a place of power. And so God, exasperated, looks at him and says, fine, then I'll send my own sign. Look. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So if you're reading this in slow motion, you're seeing that when God's given the chance to demonstrate a power, his power, the miraculous sign, what God thinks is his best evidence is not fire or clouds or dry bones. It's a baby. And then we pick up in the New Testament with Matthew trying to say that this long-expected deliverer, the one foretold for generations, is now present on the scene. God in flesh, in a tumble-down stable, born to people from a podunk town in the boondocks. No wonder both Isaiah and Matthew tell us that God started telling his people about the sign by saying, look. In both Isaiah and Matthew... The text says, look, or behold, the virgin will conceive a child. Look, behold, Matthew and Isaiah say. And I think as I read this with my skeptical mind, okay, what am I looking at? It's just a baby. I don't particularly want a sign from God that requires the word look before it. What I'd rather have is a sign from God that calls attention to itself. But it seems like the authors of scripture know something we don't that it's possible for us to become so fixated and invested on seeing the sign from God we expect that we miss the sign God sends. Can you remember a time in your life where you were so fixated on how God was supposed to act that you missed the way that God was acting already? It turns out that the Greek word for look is the same word John the Baptist uses later in Jesus' life when he says of Jesus, behold, look, it's the Lamb of God. The same one that Jesus uses when he's on the cross looking at John and Mary, his mother, saying, look, woman, behold, it's your son passing on the care of his mother to the person that he loved. And so if you trace the word look throughout the New Testament, you'll find a consistent reminder that the people God uses are often just people who are paying attention. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. To pay attention, not to the sign that we expected, but to the sign God sends. that God is with us. I've blown by this phrase in my rush toward Christmas every year. And so I wonder if we can uh, move at the savoring pace this morning through the promise of God embedded in the very name of Jesus.
what is the good news if we believe that God is with us? I don't know about you, but I can tend to have all kinds of preconceived notions attached to my image of God. On one hand, I can believe that God is so lofty and unbotherable that he's removed from the details of my life, so powerful that he's not empathetic or caring. On the other hand, there are times and seasons in which I've believed really that God is a lot like me, that God resents the people that I do, that God gets irritated with the people that I do, that God would make amends with people in the same way that I do, that God would have at his table, in his home, in his church, only people that look like me, think like me, vote like me. And so if God is with us, then if I want to know what God is like, I need to look at Jesus. If, if, if I want to know who God is, I need to see God laughing with children. I need to see the Messiah reframing the political divisions of his day. I need to see the promised Savior forgiving people who caused him pain. I need to see the anointed one breaking bread with people he allowed into his life. I need to see God rebuking religious people like me who have created rigid categories of who is in and who's out. I need to see God inviting to his table people that I had long ago forgotten about. I need to reckon with the idea that God is with us because I too often forget who God is. Look, God is with us. The present tense may be one of the best gospel facets of this passage. The text doesn't say that God was with us, although we remember specific social locations and times and places both in salvation history and in our life in which God was with us. It doesn't just say that God is with us when we're in church, when we're taking our quiet time. It says that God is with us, is, present tense, right now. So your religious moment this week may very well be in this church, but God will track you down and find you wherever you are. Good news, bad news in between. Amen, oh my, ouch. God will find you. God is with us working not just in our past testimony, but interceding now for the cries of our hearts, some of which we know about, some of which the scripture says we don't even have vocabulary to ask for. The good news that God is with us is a reminder that God will not be surprised by any condition of our life, but will work in that place to bring good news. Look, God is with us. If you've ever gone with a friend or a significant other to a, a social event, hope you, I hope you have, uh, you know the power of saying something like, I'm with him or I'm with her. This is what God does here. God looks at his people and he says, I'm with them, not just 
atoning, not just forgiving, but committing with everything he is to union, to being fully with his people, pressing in, overcoming any obstacle, taking on their fleshly circumstance. We should take a moment here, though, and say that God wasn't with his people in the way that they expected. They expected a Messiah who would conquer their political oppression, and what they got was a Messiah who showed them a new way of being fully human. They wanted a Messiah to make them great. What they got was a Messiah who made them new. God is not just in a casual alliance with you. He's not the sum of his parts in terms of how he works with you. God is with you. And because God is with you, he is more deeply committed to union than we often give him credit for. Look. God is with us. Us. As a skeptical person, I've been frankly rather troubled by how God does the miraculous in such an ordinary way here. In this story, uh, we find a very different definition of a sign than I would prefer, right? We find, in my opinion, I think uh, the ideal sign is public. It's witnessed by people with credibility, and it has no rational explanation. But most of the people in Bethlehem miss this sign. And there's an alternative rational explanation for just about everything in this story. A young woman getting pregnant, we know how that happens. Shepherds as witnesses, not terribly credible. Joseph receives a dream, but even the dream could be second-guessed the next morning. For Mary to call attention to this pregnancy, something so ordinary in public, almost seems disgraceful, doesn't it? We can load all kinds of religious significance into this, can't we? But at the very end of the day, it's just a baby and a bunch of ordinary people who say yes to God. But isn't that kind of the point? I keep wondering as I read this story if part of the reason that God delivered the sign that people had been expecting in a very different way for so long in precisely the way he did is because instead of getting bogged down in the glorious circumstances of the birth of Messiah, all we're left with is the ability to focus on who Jesus is as a person and to believe that maybe if God can use those nobodies from nowhere to accomplish the most important sign in all of history, perhaps we're not left off God's roster either. If God is interested in spectacle, this isn't his best play but God's not interested in spectacle. If you read this story both in Matthew as we've done today and in Luke as we haven't, but has been done every time you gather around the nativity, you realize that the people who got to see the miracle weren't the most spiritual people. They were the people who said a quiet yes to God over time. Mary, visited by an angel, said a quiet but costly yes that put her credibility on the line. Joseph helped Mary name the child. And in in doing so, he adopted Jesus and connected the Messiah to the line of David, just as the scriptures foretold. It's such a small thing that you could almost miss it. But God didn't. And so if we believe that God is with us, We can believe with Mary and Joseph 
that even when it's costly, God can and will weave our experiences, our gifts, our flaws, our disappointments into the things he's doing because God is with us. Jesus' backwater arrival is good news, not because it puts on a big show, because in taking on humanity, God invites us to a new way of being human. Do you ever wonder how your life would change if you really knew that God was with you? What if in your decisions about your future, you put in your best God-honoring discernment, knowing that even if you chose wrong, God would go with you gently nudging and correcting? What if in your parenting you could approach your children knowing that God cares more than you do about their well-being and yet is not anxious like you are because far after you're able to reach them, the Holy Spirit will be grafting into their hearts, working in ways that you can't. What if as you approach retirement, instead of worrying about not having enough, you see how much you can give away, continuing to live a life of generosity toward the people that God's called you to love? What if in your conflict with others, you found God with you, working toward open-handed forgiveness, even to people you thought didn't deserve it? What if in your guilt about not being a good enough Christian, you knew that God was interceding for you with prayers that you didn't even know to pray? God's best sign is a son who really is with us. Unlike the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, this sign is not just a one-time historical moment. It's something that's ongoing as God cleanses us from the guilt of sin and the power of sin and the nature of sin and makes us the sign of the kind of love that transforms communities. The invitation of God this morning for us, I think, is likely the same one that Isaiah and Matthew extended to their hearers to look, to behold. Not at the sky where we've been expecting a sign, but into the earthy experiences of our everyday lives, knowing that that's the only place that God has to meet us. And so I want to give you a moment to reflect on which word of the promise feels most like good news that you need right now. Maybe you need a reminder that God is with us. Maybe you're going through a season where uh, you have been loading all sorts of things into your perception of God. And what you need to be reminded of is that in Jesus, we actually see the fullness of God's personality. That's what it means to be human. Maybe you need to see that God is with us. Maybe it's been a while since you uh, could articulate the work of God moving in your life and you need a reminder that God's nearness is not just in the past or in special places, but that the Spirit is with us right now, closer than our breath. Maybe you need a reminder that God is with us, that God presses in for union, not just casual involvement, but into the nooks and crannies of our life, places we never thought that God would go. Maybe you need a reminder that he's working for our good. Or maybe you need a reminder that God is with us. Maybe some of you are going through a season where you feel like God has passed you by. Where the ordinary circumstances of your life, whether they're just mundane or they're just really difficult, feel deeply detached from the kinds of things you wish God would do. 
And you need a reminder that right now, God is with us, with you. That your personality and your gifts and your flaws and your mundane is something that's within his plan.